0: Time to blow your mind with historical homos.
1: Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. That, my friend, is one of the most famous. Homes in the English language, but what everybody fails to talk about is that it was most likely written for a beautiful, lithe little twink.
0: And about a decade earlier, another great poet named Christopher Marlowe had been busy writing a similarly fagotious poem, potentially in honour of the same said twink, about a hunky ancient Greek named Leander. Here's how he introduces him. His body was as straight as Circe's wand... "'Jove might have sipped out nectar from his hand. "'Even as delicious meat is to the taste, "'so was his neck in touching "'and surpassed the white of Pelops's shoulder. "'I could tell ye how smooth his breast was "'and how white his belly, "'and whose immortal fingers did imprint "'that heavenly path with many a curious dint "'that runs along his back. "'Some swore he was a maid in man's attire,' For in his looks were all that men desire, a pleasant smiling cheek, a speaking eye, a brow for love to banquet royally. And such as knew he was a man would say, Leander, thou art made for amorous play. I mean, it's gay as fuck. Wow. And I'm not even reading you the next section when Poseidon tries to fuck him underwater. Trust me, it's steamy. So, Shakespeare and Marlowe, two titans of English literature and possibly Britain's first theater gaze. It's time to figure it all out. So, get your Speedos on and get in, because the water is what? Human Human temperature.
1: Tonight, I cover all the things that's still a mystery. everybody and welcome to today's episode of Historical Homos. Je suis Donald Brophy. I do the French here. And I'm Bash. Just one name, like Cher. And today we will be discussing Shakespeare and Marlowe. And the queereth there lieth with <laughs> Do you know what? That really moved me. Well, you know, Bash. Let's provide some context for the mm. lovely ladies and gentlemen. Um, what was it like to be gay with all of the Christianity and everything swirling around Western Europe at the time?
0: For the listeners, we're in like the 1500s. That's when Shakespeare and Marlowe were born. And I think everybody always thinks about Christianity as just like purely anti-gay, anti-gay, anti-gay. But it's way more complicated than that. In the Middle Ages, there was... First of all, a lot of gays running around, the monks, the popes, the kings. We have plenty of evidence that there was a lot of boy-on-boy going on. As the Catholic tradition, the Catholic Church continues today. (laughs) And there were also interesting ideological things that were happening. People talked about sodomy as almost something natural, right? That God had created. And how could anything natural be shameful? So there were all of these interesting debates going on. It's actually when you get to the Renaissance that everyone starts to be uptight about their butt stuff. Right. And that's because... The Black Death happened, everyone's a little bit like, oh, is God mad at us because we've been doing so much butt stuff? And so sodomy comes to be seen as a disruptive force in society. Also
1: a waste of jazz probably because they had to three... <laughs> Because they had to repopulate the planet. Right. Actually, amazing point. Every sperm is from sacred. From our chief
0: economist, Donald Brophy. <laughs> the chief, from the
1: chief Catholic expert on the planet. All
0: those queers are wasting that cum. Every sperm
1: is sacred.
0: <laughs> I, I, it actually probably really was that. But the bigger point is that sodomy was not seen as like part of a gay identity at the time. It's more of a catch-all term, no? It's also a catch-all term. So sodomy means, like, bestiality. It can mean just giving someone a blowjob, whatever your gender. It obviously means anal. It's a bigger catch-all term for sexual depravity in general. And it's also associated with, you know, drinking too much. It's just one of man's many vices. It's not really its own sort of thing yet.
1: Gotcha. However, what we have going on, correct me if I'm wrong, on the British Isles is we essentially have this queen that's um, on the throne now. Elizabeth. Elizabeth I. Yes. If you're, I mean, you know, Check we're looking it. at the visual medium version of this podcast. Bash has Elizabeth's signature tattoo on the inside of his bicep. Yeah. It's very sexy and cool. Um, don't, there look, she is. don't look at my yogurt big, in a bag. The yogurt <laughs> in a bag. Um, so, you know, what was going on in mainland Europe was one thing. But I also feel that Elizabethan England was kind of, well, it was a golden age. Um, and especially when when she, when Liz almost kind of like transformed into the Virgin Queen. which I have a lot of theories about that, um, which we won't get into in this episode. But anyway, tell me a little bit about what it was like to be gay in Elizabethan England. So. Yeah, it's not...
0: Super fun, honestly. From in the beginning, (laughs) it does. It does sort of start to get a little bit looser. But I mean, all ukuleles and fist fucking. Which is exactly what gay culture is today, primarily. Um, no, it's not all ukuleles and fist fucking. It's mostly just men living in the countryside, having to work on farms and like sleeping in beds together, which is not not hot. But everyone lives in the country. First of all, seventy five percent of the population is rural. Most men don't really have sexual experiences outside of their household with women. So the so not their families. I, ideally well, sheep right but right <laughs> besides the sheep there are there are a lot of servants in uh, uh England at the time, so all of these poorer families send out their kids to work as servants in higher up families, and then you earn some money so you can establish your own household so that's actually how now men- so you're minding
1: your own business carrying a water a pail of water and you can just be grabbed and 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 somebody can have your, their way with you at any moment and
0: yeah yeah, pretty much pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. It's, a, it's about as romantic as that yeah. and we have a lot of court cases where master's sons are stupping the servant girl or whatever and then we also have a lot where they're stupping servant boys so mm-hmm. that seems to be one of the primary ways well, which
1: still happens today I mean look at Arnold Schwarzenegger you know stupping the man. and then also- and John Travolta and the babysitter and Jude Law and the fucking babysitter you know what it's a, a tri- it's a tried
0: and true model yeah. and there's a reason it's stuck yeah. around so there's there's all of that going on, and then there's also uh, some legislation against gays. There's the Buggery Act, which sounds like the coolest law that's ever been invented. In 1533, so Henry VIII makes it illegal to bugger anyone, a.k.a. fuck them so but that it, it doesn't seem like it's really applied a lot like we don't have a lot of court cases where people are being punished for this so we know that there are gays walking around and actually the other big source that we have because this is a golden age of literature is all of these satirists who write these poems about Queer, like rich guys who are a little too queer for their taste. Now,
1: this, by the way, is the most homophobic press quote I have ever heard in my entire life. What? What? what I'm, oh, what I'm about to read? read. Oh,
0: <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. A little they're, drum roll. Uh, they're they're trying to make fun of these guys. So this is this is how, in like the late 1500s, one poet describes a London fagot. Behold at length in London streets he shows, his clothes perfumed, his fusty mouth is aired, his chin new swept, his very cheeks are glazed, doublet and cloak with plush and velvet lined, only his headpiece that is filled with wind, rags, running horses, dogs, drabs, drink, and dice, the only things that he doth hold in price. Yet more than these, not doth him so delight, as doth his smooth-chinned plump-thighed catamite. And for everyone listening, catamite basically means twink. So Again, homophobic. Yeah, no. And we have to maybe take it with a grain of salt because the whole point is that they're trying, again, like, there there are no gays. It's just, like, people who do gay things. Right. Kind of like our German producer... Who claims that he's straight? <laughs> well, it's
1: also like when you see when you're <laughs> when you're driving through, you know, like and a straight person's like just finds himself driving down, you know, uh, Santa, Ma- in, you know, through boystown and West Hollywood, and they're like, "Oh, Mary, we took the wrong turn. Oh, is look that- at look at all these calamites are going around." <laughs> is that is that how you
0: joined the community? That's how I joined the community. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is no gay identity, but there is this urban subculture that is developing around the theater, notably, where lots of queer stuff has always happened. Sodomy is involved with that. Pretty young things, you know. Um, oh, and sorcery is also something they associate queer people with. Because, Duh. obviously, we're awesome.
1: We're all witches. So,
0: so yeah, that's kind of like gay life in oh. Elizabethan England.
1: Which brings us to, you know, my personal favorite, who I just feel like was really fucking hot and kind of like a gay Kurt Cobain of mm. the time. Oh, yes. Christopher fucking Marlowe. Act
0: one Christopher Marlowe, Be are gay. Wait, that's not right.
1: Christopher Give Marlowe. Us a background, Christopher Marlowe. Will you please bash? Christopher Marlowe
0: attending his own big opening when he is born in 1564 in Canterbury. Which is not chic. It's like, you know, out in the provinces. Spokane. His nickname is Kit Marlowe, by the way, and I like calling him Kitty Cat, so that's how I will refer to him henceforth. He is the son of a shoemaker, but not fashion, more like a cobbler. So his his parents are pretty poor. Everyone in his family is apparently rowdy as fuck and, like, gets in trouble for drinking publicly and blaspheming and stuff. You know, kind of like your early life in Ireland. Yeah. And he manages to get out, get an education. He distinguishes himself early on. He's very bright. And so the Bishop of Canterbury or whatever the fuck is like, hey, I'll give you a scholarship to go study at Cambridge. And he goes off to Cambridge at the age of 13. Something I never understand, actually, is why they all start at Cambridge when they're like 12 or 13. So maybe because they were about to die from plague when they were, like, 16. Yeah. Got to get it done quickly, kids. And he plans to enter the church, right? The totally heterosexual wow. Anglican church. That's sort
1: of a good way up for a lot of poor boys. So it was established by Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, during the Reformation. There was a break. This Famously. We're now no longer in Catholic England. We're in
0: yeah. Protestant England. And that's actually a big thing because Marlowe is going to become kind of a... Spy against the Catholics in a moment, Marlowe absolutely gets his intellectual rocks off at Cambridge it 's very formative for him. he studies Latin, Greek, all the classical poets. he starts writing his own poetry, he starts translating poetry. So you know how people are always like, how did Shakespeare write all that shit when he didn 't really have like a, a very high grade education? like Marlowe was the opposite. Marlowe had an excellent education and so had these bi- this big frame of reference for when he started writing his plays before Shakespeare I might add. So he gets his BA in 1584, and he decides I'm not going to become a priest. And then he gets that sort of tap on the shoulder that people in Cambridge still get from MI6 and all of that. And
1: um, from Oprah. Well, who, I mean, who gave the um, the valedictorian speech? Did they have any celebrity come, like did Oprah come? The <laughs> the what?
0: I was like, "How in the fuck is Oprah being brought
1: into that?" <laughs> I'm just going to, to find a way to bring Oprah into every Oprah single. W- Oprah sorry, was the-
0: there in 1584. Yeah, uh, but he's called away. Uh, to spy against these Catholics in France. So he actually gets like an all expenses paid trip to, although it's in like a Jesuit school or something. So it doesn't sound Cause bad.
1: he was so fucking hot, right? And so smart. And so he's cool. hot,
0: he's smart. He's, he's, he speaks French, I think already. Canterbury is very close to France. I think that might've been a part of it. Um, and he's able to slip right in and he actually helps uncover a plot against Elizabeth because even though this is the golden age of England, like politically it's fucking dicey. You know, Spain is trying to take over England with their armada. Mary queen of Scots is being an absolute cunt and Elizabeth has to figure out, you know, how to manage all of these threats from all these different sources. So Kit, kitty cat, Goes over to France, uncovers this plot, comes back, and is kind of established as a low-key spy. It's weird how all of these queer figures that we cover tend to be spies. Yeah, Something about gays and keeping secrets. Um, The plot he uncovers actually leads to Mary, Queen of Scots, getting her head cut off, finally. The
1: Babington plot, right? The
0: Babington plot, exactly. Marlowe goes back to Cambridge, picks up his masters, and is like, I'm definitely not entering the church. And he hits London hard with his... First play Tamburlaine, which is about this not Persian but somewhere you know Middle Eastern shepherd who rises to become really powerful and like kills the king and becomes the king it's basically the story of the kardashians <laughs> and london absolutely loves it it makes him really popular he's famous pretty quickly he writes six more plays this is like 1587 when he gets to london he's going to die in 1593 and in the ne- in those intervening six years he writes six amazing plays
1: so at, at this at this time. Shakespeare's kind of like a, a kid, so he would have heard of Marlowe. Shakespeare
0: was actually born in the same year as Marlowe, but he's not on quite on the scene yet. And they sort of, I think they have a little bit of overlap, but Shakespeare's first plays are like the mid-1590s, we think. So Marlowe is writing these plays. They're always, they always tend to be around themes of power and anti-establishment figures trying to acquire power. So you have Tamburlaine, um, you have The Massacre at Paris, which is about all of the Protestants who were killed by Catherine de' Medici. Um, there's a queer figure in that, her son, Henry, uh, who has all of these little
1: gay guys around him in his court. Didn't he marry Mary, Queen of Scots, Catherine Medici's son, and died very young. Oh, yes. Kath- yeah.
0: Ma- Mary, Queen of Scots married Catherine's son, Francis II, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And then he died. He had, like, an aneurysm in a boat had, like, or something. or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, sucks. Anyway. Anyway, so, they. he's always writing about these figures who are kind of in the in the...
1: You know, in very powerful positions, and and it shows a little bit of like and one of the things that we love about Milo so much is this kind of like rock and roll aspirational aspect to him, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He's he's concerned with
0: outsiders, with like yeah. figures. He writes another play called The Jew at Malta, which is about a Jewish guy trying to gain power in very corrupt. Christian Malta and then the one that we'll talk about later is Edward II oh and Dr. Faustus of course which is about uh you know trying to sell yourself selling your soul for all the knowledge in the world and all the you know fallen angels in that and so there's a lot of dark sexy stuff he's very kind of outre in that way and and it's a new thing in the in the theater at the time and people absolutely love it so does Elizabeth come see his place I don't. We don't. I don't think we know, but it's it's very possible Mm. he does write one called Dido, Queen of Carthage, uh, for the king's choir boys or something like that. Who are like so? It's a private royal performance. So she probably saw Mm. that, and that one's interesting because it features Zeus dangling Ganymede on his lap in the in like the first scene. So there's like a little homo scene um, in the first thing, and it all would have been acted out by these like teenage boys. So. It's so, all mm. so a little dicey. But his gayest play by far
1: is Edward II. Okay, so Edward II. This is one of the plays that I think came on um, when I was studying acting, actually, as one of the early plays that I kind of became familiar with. i have actually seen it done by the Druid Theatre Company in Ireland, and it was the most incredible production I'd ever seen. Oh, cool. Edward II was kind of like this very uh androgynous uh, played with this like 6 foot 5 tall actor uh, like just it was um electrifying I just couldn't believe it I was like I had to literally when I left the play I had to google and be like was this re-? you know back check is this because it was just so electrifying and so relevant yeah um so and and also just the Derek Jarman movie with, right. with which is fabulous which is fabulous Can such I, good outfits Tilda Swinton Tilda Swinton play. so I think let's talk a little bit about Edward II.
0: Yeah, and, and it is based on a real story. So Edward II was around in like the early 1300s or something like that. And he had this very, his father, actually he's in um, Braveheart. That's if right. you remember in Braveheart, that scene where the- his
1: boyfriend gets shoved out the window. Yeah,
0: the boyfriend gets shoved out the window, which when I saw that when I was young, I was like, Traumatized. Can that happen in real life? Like, can people do that? Um, Apparently they can. But that's actually not the way his boyfriend died. So Edward II had this very bad habit of falling in love with these hot boys at court and then promoting them to positions of power and getting into trouble with all the other nobles who were like, stop promoting that little homo over me. Right. So this really happened in the early 1300s. Piers Gaveston was Edward II's first court favorite. Eventually he gets pushed out and he gets killed. And then there's another even worse one that comes in called Hugh de La Spencer or something. And he gets pushed out as well and killed in an awful way, but he was a cunt. So who cares?
1: But then we have
0: the actual play,
1: the actual, but, but then our, the, the, the most kind of like incredible, one of the greatest characters I think as an actor to play is Galveston.
0: Right? Galveston. Yeah. 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 So Piers mm. Galveston is in, in the play. He's a, Total scheming bitch. I mean, he's very set against Queen Isabella, because Edward II had uh, a French queen who would later depose him and kill him, and and that's what happens in the play. So Piers is uh, Piers and Isabella are at each other's throats, and Piers is trying to. Always curry favor with Edward and distract him with all of these entertainments and dazzle him and you know put on a big gay show basically Mm. so that the king is always obsessed with him.
1: So let's read from (laughs) Gaveston. Well, I love this particular speech because it's literally like Gaveston with his like glam squad. Yeah, and his like like, PA. He's like walking around with his clipboard. Everybody, (laughs) okay, listen up, everybody. We're going to fucking power party for Edward and that bitch Isabelle's going to be there. So listen, everyone take notes. This is what we need. Word for word, this is a translation. I I must have wanton poets with pleasant wits. Musicians that with touching of a string may draw the plain king which which way I please. And in the day when we shall walk abroad like sylvan nymphs, my pages shall be clad. Sometime a lovely boy with Diane's shape, With hair that gilds the water as it glides, croets of pearl about his naked arms, And in his sportful hands an olive tree, To hide those parts which men delight to see, Shall bathe him in a spring, Such things as these best please his majesty bitches. Right. I mean, I mean, it's so it's, extra.
0: It's fuck. It's like Simon Doonan. or something. it's like Jonathan Adler being like, <laughs> "All right, guys, this is what we're doing today." Um, but yeah, it, and it's it, it is actually a tragic play. You see the play. You see everyone's perspective in the play. You do sympathize with Queen Isabel because she's kind of got a rotten luck with this gay old husband, and Piers is being a dick to her. But then she joins with these other guys to conspire against Edward II and and get all of the nobles against him. So Kitty Cat is really trying to paint this sympathetic picture of Mm. this figure. And it ends up being pretty... Terrifying for Edward because in the play, and I don't even know if this was something that happened very often on the on the Elizabethan stage, but he gets killed on stage. So he there's this really sad mm. scene where he like is has a poker shoved up his ass, which is actually how we think the real Edward the Second was also killed, mm. and it's just like shocking and horrible and grisly, and it's it's a very uh, surprising moment.
1: What do you think Marlowe was saying with the play? <laughs> <laughs> Did you think he was a little self-hating? Mm, or was know, he just no. like, yo, this is, for future generations, this is a snapshot Polaroid of what it was like to be gay. You can fall in love with somebody, but everybody around you is going to try to discourage you to do so, and ultimately you're doomed. I do think it's more
0: about showing... Uh, the, the tragedy of power. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's that interested in the gayness of it all. I think he's attracted to Edward as a queer figure because queerness makes him other. But it he makes, makes him... such a
1: point of, I mean, you know, he makes such a point of the queerness of the play and there's not a lot of, it's not like it was like particularly, like a hundred plays from the time about.
0: No, that's true. That's true. You it's know? like, you, do, you, don't have, you don't have to choose the gay one. Um, so there is definitely a lot of, you know, putting that on display, but I, I'm not sure he was trying to communicate anything to his fellow gays about it,
1: but it's so rock and roll. I mean, if anything,
0: he was trying to say, look at, look at this
1: poor figure who was murdered in this horrible way just for being gay. Exactly, and think again. You know, I don't know why, but Marlowe really reminds me of like a gay Kurt Cobain because he just yeah. had those hooks, like Kurt Cobain, like Nirvana were so rock and roll, and they were so like you know revered by everybody in the music industry, especially people that were really like hardcore into rock and roll. But they had those hooks, those pop hooks, like ding ding, you know. And I feel like Marlowe had the what made the subjects were all so dark and so crazy, but he had those pop. hooks. Hooks that brought the audience got bums in seats and made him so dangerous and and you know yeah. kind of like rock and roll it was like you know i just love that about him yeah and, and i think shakespeare actually learned a, a lot hell of a from lot. that as well these are these are
0: really popular uh, most of them we think were popular plays so yeah. people really gravitated towards this this content he was a content creator little millennial Marlowe.
1: so with all of this religiosity swirling around. where does Marlowe stand on all that?
0: So this is another side of Marlowe that's really dark and sexy. Like he is, by all accounts, you know, he came from that blaspheming family of drunks who was always running around getting into trouble. He also seems to have been somewhat atheist or, you know, at, at the very least was questioning all of this stuff. And that actually starts to get him into trouble with people in the government, because he's still Elizabeth's spy, he's still in Her Majesty's secret service, but he's also kind of publicly walking around, making all these proclamations about how Jesus Christ was gay, and with St. John the Baptist, and he has all these blasphemous things that he loves to shock people with. So they actually start to build a bit of a case up against him. And eventually, Elizabeth is like, all right, enough with this fucker. Like, let's figure out if he really is, you know, an atheist. Because even Elizabeth has her limits. And they start building this case against him. And that's, when we, that's actually where we get a lot of our evidence for thinking that he was gay. Because people start to send in all of these you know little slices of information one of my favorite quotes from him is that he apparently once said all they that love not tobacco and boys are fools which is like i mean duh. i could i could get that tramp stamp tattoo today so eventually some some shady shit happens and marlo gets invited to have a day out with the boys at a pub in kent and they are, they go to a pub, they have a big drunk old time, and then the bill comes and there's a big old fight about who's paying the bill and he's with these two like cutthroats, And then it all finishes in, on a summer day in 1593 with kitty cat Marlowe getting penetrated to death right in the eye. By a dick. By, <laughs> this time by a knife,
1: but... Now, if I may, this sounds a little skulldogorous to my taste because... You know, just around the time when, you know, they're starting, he's starting to get a bit too lippy. And Her Majesty, the greatest fag hag of all time, you know, literally like a drag queen, is like, oh, this queen. Kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could have been somebody in the pub and, you know, like, just like, oh, the bill, bill, bell, in the head. Well, that, that's what they think is that these two guys that he was
0: drinking Assassins. with. They were potentially sent by these because the, the spy, Elizabeth's spymasters had been protecting Marlowe for a really long time. So, but it does seem a little bit extreme to just like kill this valuable person. But who knows? Maybe they didn't zero.
1: They, they killed people for a lot less. Yes, exactly. They <laughs> chopped people's hands off for like stealing a blood orange.
0: Yeah. <laughs> really? Why sp- blood orange. What happened to you as a child?
1: <laughs> really specific. <laughs> I just feel like that's what they had back then. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sure they did not have blood. No, no. But
0: so Marlowe does have like you know a really short, tragically short life.
1: I think he's 29 when he dies. Jesus. So well, hold on. I just think I just uncovered one of history's greatest mysteries: Jimi Hendrix. 27, I think that's that the 27
0: is. club, sweetie.
1: Yeah, but not again, far off. numbers,
0: not your strong game. They're not
1: far <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, he he's definitely part of that club, the, those like cool rockers yeah. who die young. He lived fast and he died young. It's good for him. So, and, and then there is kind of like some public mourning for him in terms of a lot of the writers that we have from the period mention it and are like, yeah, it sucks that he died because he was so talented. One, One guy actually says, pity it is that wit so ill should dwell. Wit lent from heaven, but vices sent from hell. So it's like, yeah, he was talented, but he was a fucking fag, basically.
1: Basically, Amy Winehouse... Yeah, you know, meets Jimi Hendrix, meets Kirk Cobain. Anyway. I but he, but the the thing I want to emphasize is that he was a
0: fucking fantastic playwright, and he doesn't get as much credit as Shakespeare because Shakespeare has this outsized. You know reputation, but he had these incredibly successful plays. He also in, basically invented blank verse, which is like not rhyming in in verse for, um, for the theater. so he had a huge influence on English poetry, and he also influenced these later artists, like Derek Jarman, who mm-hmm. kind of recast him as a, as a working class queer hero because he was this really young, poor kid who rose through the ranks and made something of himself as an artist and as a gay man so yeah.
1: yeah put Absolutely. that in your gay pipe. Rock and Roll Marlo has popped his plug. <laughs> Act 2, Shakespeare
0: or Shakespeare. Oh,
1: that is very good. So where does that leave us with ye old Shakespeare? Yes.
0: So Shakespeare and this is such a this is such a debated issue about Shakespeare's sexuality and all of that and it's just like I don't Who who even cares that much? But the important thing about this, I think, is that there's been a lot of straight washing with Shakespeare because there is some gay shit in his, not not only in his plays, but primarily in his sonnets, right? Which were, you read the beginning of one of them. The first 120-something of them are all addressed to a young man or at least most of, most of that initial set are. And then there's another section of them that are addressed to a woman called the Dark Lady, and, and the young man is called the Fair Youth, right? So I, I don't know about you, but I never heard a peep about that in high school.
1: Well, this to me is one of the biggest cases of straightwashing washing in, in human history, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, Shakespeare, the Bard, is probably the most famous writer of all time, and never did I ever hear a peep of that they changed the pronouns in his plays until I had to do like I got older and I was in the theater myself and people started to to tell me this and it was common knowledge. But I could not believe that um, I, w- I didn't know this before and they didn't you know? It seems like such an integral part of his life journey, which yeah. people are so obsessed about and they pick apart every single verse. Um, so yeah.
0: And and we don't need to go through Shakespeare's whole life, but he was, I mean, he was born in the same year as kitty cat. 1564. He grew. Up, he actually seems to have been from a fairly like middle class background. He grew up. His father was a local politician. I've basically. been to his
1: house actually. I went to his house in Stratford. Oh yeah, on Avon. It's like pretty dope pad. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, she was. She was like. Yeah, no, money. he
0: didn't. He didn't start from nothing by any means, and he did actually get an education. He he probably went to some grammar school or something like that. And he, and then there's this period in his 30s where he's sort of lost and being a bit of a vagrant and, you know, doesn't doesn't know what to do with his life. But then by the mid 1590s, he starts producing plays. He becomes a, a extremely successful. And he's also a good businessman. He he gets, you know, in with James, the
1: First's, uh sponsored players and all of that. So and- Elizabeth passes during his kind of career. And then yes. we have James I, who was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots. So yeah. basically, Mary, Queen of Scots kind of gets the last laugh, which I, I kind of love. I always the love the Stuarts ascend the throne. Because I actually think that Mary was treated horribly. She married a gay as well.
0: Yeah, she was trying to kill Elizabeth, though. So it's like if you're going to play the Game of Thrones, you're going to die. Like that's the way it goes. Don't I don't feel that bad the, for her.
1: the biggest drag queen of all time. Yeah, <laughs> you don't fuck don't with come for you Don't you.
0: Don't you don't fuck with Elizabeth. Don't come for Lady Bunny. All right. Um, no, but so he he Shakespeare had a gift for making powerful friends. So he was kind of kind of like Marlowe in that way, even though Marlowe was more sort of working for them all the time. But one of the one of his friends is this young hottie named Henry. I can't fucking pronounce it and I've looked it up and I can't figure it out so it's Henry W is what we're going to call him but he's this gorgeous guy earl the Earl of Southampton his long auburn hair he might have been um, the inspiration the fair youth in the sonnets
1: and um, was he the inspiration for Marlowe's one and he well? might have
0: been the inspiration for this gay poem that Marlowe ah, was writing at the end of his life. They were
1: all horny for this Earl of Southampton. For this
0: one guy, and the Earl, and he was probably homosexual, from what we can tell, and was associated with some other aristocrats like Edward De Vere, who is one of the names that people use when they tribute Shakespeare to someone else. You know, when they say Shakespeare didn't write his own plays, oh. Edward, they think Edward De Vere might have written some of them or all of them because he was like this very educated aristocrat. But we don't care about those QAnon conspiracy theories here. So, Shakespeare is busy making important friends. He's getting richer. He has also left his wife in Stratford upon Avon, Anne Hathaway. You know, he doesn't give a shit about that or his, or his kids. Uh, that always suggested to me that there could have been some like bisexy stuff going on because Shakespeare wants to go off to the city and have like a gay old life in the theater. Well, all those
1: dudes at the time would just get their beard early, put a ring on it, set them up on a little house with a few servants and piss off to, you know, Yale, Lundinia. Yeah. Which is the Roman pronunciation. Of, Thank, you. Really Thank you so much for that reference.
0: <laughs> but okay, so let's talk about the sonnets though, because okay. that's the meat of this. That's the meat of our evidence. Because I think, I, I don't think that Shakespeare is gay at all. I think he might have been somewhat bisexual and definitely was utilizing the trend for gay poetry that was going around at the time.
1: And he was like, in the theater, as in he was a, a fucking actor.
0: He was an act he was an actor, yeah, not and just a player. All playwright.
1: actors are bisexual. All actors. Legally. All Case actors- in point. Rest, let's close up these, let's <laughs> fold up these here microphones and call it a day. But the sonnets
0: are really interesting because the way that they get um shaped after they're never published when uh w- during Shakespeare's lifetime. So we can almost sort of think of them as like his private bisexual journal you know like he was writing them for someone and probably presented some of them to a patron of his which might have been the earl of southampton but they're they're almost personal meditations i think when you when you read them but at the same time very conscious of the incredible artistry behind them. Because so many of the sonnets are just like, you're going to be famous forever, baby, because I'm writing you into one of my poems. And we'll, I'll read one of those that's exactly like that. So he that. knew
1: how famous he was. He knew how... You can
0: read it in the sonnets. He's like, you know, everything else fades except my poetry. Like, he says it over and over again. And in better words than that, I'll admit. Yeah. And, and the other thing about the sonnets is that people compiled them in a certain order very early on so that they seem to chart this story of a bisexual love triangle where the first 120, like I said, or, you know, or so are addressed to the fair youth, the young man. And Shakespeare appears to be very in love with this young man, but also encouraging him to get married and not waste his youth. And there are all these different themes that are going on. And then there's a switch somewhere and he starts writing to the dark lady. So this is this apparently very ugly gross woman that shakespeare is really attracted to and he's writing all of it which sounds gay and he's right he starts writing to her and then he gets pissed off because the fair youth fucks her and so there's been all this speculation about who she is and you know what the nature of the love triangle is we cannot fig- we cannot figure that out number 1 number 2 it's kind of a false story like there's zero proof that that, that the poems reflect any reality, right? Shakespeare could have just been inventing some persona in order to write these poems, because that was actually something that happened at the time. Like there was this market for gay sounding poetry, some of which was imitating earlier classical poetry. My favorite one is this guy, Richard Barnfield, which I'm going to ask you to read. And he is, this is like overtly queer stuff about hot twinks in the countryside.
1: Of that fair boy that had my heart entangled, cursing the time, the place, the sense, the sin, I came, I saw, I viewed, I slipped in. Now, would you fuck off? I mean, it's just. That uh, is the gayest
0: thing. It's ripe. It is ripe with sodomy. slipped in? (laughs) It's dripping. It's lubed up and ready to go. So there were, and apparently Richard Barnfield was straight. We know we have his diaries, so we we have surmised that he does he didn't really seem to be all of that queer and he was just writing these poems because there was a market for them and you could like you could sort of take your little gay poems and go to a little gay aristocrat and be like, "Hey, you want to buy these gay poems?" and so people were kind of cashing in on that so it 's possible that the sonnets are kind of doing that too, but to my mind, they 're a little too sublime and you know Carefully considered
1: to be to be dime store kind of yeah it's not
0: yeah. it's not Richard Barnfield faff
1: you know yeah. it's it's
0: not it's, it's not, not that penny dreadful
1: yeah yeah um, so, so that's interesting to me and you know something that occurs to me as well is that with all these I can't remember the names of these kind of dandyish aristocrats that you mentioned but they were obviously super fashionable at the time they were kind of so setting trends as us queers tend to do um, so it might have just been cool to be gay. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. Like I think that's very is. possible because it's
0: like all the cool kids are doing it in the theater. All the cool kids are doing it who have money. It's like who wouldn't want to try? So and and then we have a lot of stuff too about these those aristocrats stooping their servant boys and all of that. Um, so it was it was fairly well known and well documented, you know, and not that any of them really got into that much trouble, of course. So the sonnets are like we said, straight washed after. Shakespeare's death because they changed the pronouns and even you know later scholars are like well actually guys I'm not sure we can really get around this gay thing like C.S. Lewis the guy who wrote all of the the Narnia books who was like a major Christian and probably no friend to the gays I'm sure he writes the the language of the sonnets is too lover-like for that of ordinary male friendship I've found no real parallel to such language between friends in 16th century literature so it's like you know If the Narnia guy says it's gay, it's gay. But as I say, we can't know whether Shakespeare was bisexual or whatever. And I don't think anyone really cares at the end of the day. We know that he definitely had kids and fucked women and whatever. Maybe he was also fucking dudes. But I think what's more important is that he was thinking about the love between men, right? Well,
1: it influenced his art. It influenced his writing, you know, which is really at the end of the day, where... um you know, that's that's why anybody really gives a shit about Shakespeare at the end, you know? Yeah, yeah, and
0: but but I think like from a gay perspective, from like our perspective looking back and being like, why would it matter that Shakespeare was gay? It's like someone in the 1500s was working through these issues of like an older man's love for a, for a younger man. And the sonnets are not the sonnets are not very sexy, the ones that he writes to the boy. You know, they're, they're, they're a little more elevated. They're a little more ethereal in, in, their, in, the, the, in their spiritual love. So I'm going I'm to read a full one just to show you how queer it sounds. Uh, and, and this one is all about basically how the fair youth was originally created as a woman by nature, but then by the addition of one little thing... Became oh. a man, and that really pissed Shakespeare off. Let's read from the sources, shall we? So this is Sonnet 20. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted hast thou, the master mistress of my passion. A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change as is false women's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth a man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature as she wrought thee fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. So this is basically saying... Nature made you a girl first, and then she added a dick, and then you became a boy, and that ruined it for me because I still love you, but I can't fuck you, Hmm. and you can only fuck, and I mean, the use of, since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, prick meant prick back then, Hmm. you know, so he's very clearly, and, and he says, mine be thy love, right, like you still have my love, even though thy love's use, right, the use of your dick is going to be women's Treasure, pleasure
1: mm. very, and treasure. It's very complex stuff because it's basically, he's basically saying, oh man, like I really like dudes but I just don't like cock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> German producer, anything to say on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. It's, yeah. re- it's
0: really interesting and actually I find all of the sonnets very difficult to understand and which read. Means,
1: which basically means that he's kind of not really gay at all but you know. He's, second, he's not sense. but I, I don't think he's gay but
0: I think he had a passionate love for a man. So it's like, what's mm. the difference really? You know, like... It wasn't
1: there like around the theaters at the time as well? Like it was, there was just just a den of iniquity. Like it was, all the theaters were in like red light districts.
0: Basically. Oh, absolutely. And, and one of my favorite things is that around, I think it was around the globe or maybe it was another theater, but there are these uh, gay brothels that are called Sodom and Little Sodom. So it's like really creative codenaming there, guys. Right. So it's like they, they, they have it all out in the open, you know, in, in certain ways, even though it is still technically illegal and all of that. And there are some aristocrats who get in trouble. Actually, Francis Bacon is one of the big scandals. He's the guy who, like, helped invent the scientific method or something, some complicated shit that our gay little minds can't comprehend. Right. But he was a big homo, like exclusively homo. And he had a thing for Welsh servants, apparently.
1: That's very specific.
0: Very specific, yeah. Welsh dark haired servants seemed to be his thing. Interesting. I could get behind it. Well, I was, S- we,
1: what was wrong with the Irish at the time? We were there with them too. <laughs>
0: They're too busy killing you. Probably,
1: you <laughs> were wild, wild, feral creatures. From your head.
0: <laughs> so he he does get into trouble for, but he doesn't even get sent to prison or anything like that. He doesn't get killed. Like nothing happens because the rich people can do whatever they want. As as in every era, mm. but I think it's interesting because there is this sort of like gay panic about Shakespeare being a little bisexy. You know what I mean? Mm. And to me, it kind of it's kind of relevant to. The, the current state of bisexuality in our culture which i think people still kind of try to downplay as something too in the middle or too wishy-washy or not really a, a sexuality in itself you know or is it the
1: first stop to yeah you know, for, bottomville right
0: the, the stop on the highway to bottomville but uh, it, but especially for men for men, it's like even when I, even when i meet a guy and he's bisexual i'm like are I you <laughs> if you're putting it in my ass are you <laughs> But
1: that's going to get cut.
0: (laughs) Absolutely not. But no it's like it. I, I, I see it in myself. it's like you we, we have this thing about like men are such sexual creatures that if they have desire for one, they must be that, and if and it doesn't make sense for them to have desire for both. Mm. so I, I see a lot of that in this, and I think even Marlowe was maybe not exclusively gay. you know we don 't really have full proof. We just know that he was super intrigued
1: by gay figures, but I or think that, he could also just be like, we are today just a giant hundred percent motherfucking. Gay as a goose. Like, <laughs> gay, 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 gay all day, you know, and then maybe just like had a little dalliance with a woman just as a bit uh, to just throw them off the scent a little bit, you know, I mean, I'm sure they were as gay then as they fucking gay today. Yeah, who knows? The
0: thing about yeah. the thing about tobacco and boys is pretty incriminating. Oh man, and pretty he nice. he has this whole um, riff where he apparently goes off on Jesus Christ and St. John the Baptist being homos together and he's like Saint John the Baptist was a bottom and Jesus was a top which is like
1: okay good for you Jesus. I would have thought the way around by the way <laughs> I know because John the Baptist was kind of a daddy uh,
0: yeah and also Jesus is like turn the other cheek he's like you know he's definitely getting choked well, and spit on his
1: whole day you know like going around being like every, everything to everybody when he gets home he wants <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> The and the fishes.
0: Jesus has to give so much, he just wants to get given to eventually.
1: Oh my god. Power bottom Total power bottom. Total bottom. Oh, with that. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Um, with that, is there any, any final thoughts now? With you know, like so we have all the you know Shakespeare's collection of art.
0: What have you learned? What have you learned? Um because I learned a lot. Well
1: what, what have I learned? I've learned um that Marlowe was kind of cooler than Shakespeare, right? I think that's
0: a. I think it's huge. We need to rehabilitate Marlowe. as
1: well. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what else? It I reminds me of a little bit. This is going to sound really pretentious, but it reminds me of the relationship between Vita Sackville-West and Virginia Woolf. Mm. Only that Marlowe and Shakespeare, Except they weren't in a, didn't a relationship. know each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just in terms of kind of like. Uh, Beat like the West was much more famous at the time. The difference and, in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or just some sort of... something. Kind I mean,
0: of- Shakespeare is obviously like a genius, but I think Marlowe doesn't get his, his, his due. No, he know? really doesn't, actually. And yeah. when you read the plays, they're also more... Marlowe's plays are much more gettable and like something about me prefer maybe it's just because i'm a dumb cunt but like i just like not having to think so hard when i'm reading a play yeah you know? it's interesting
1: when you read it when you read marlo's plays and you read shakespeare plays you really see that shakespeare was like shut off
0: yeah yeah he's so intricate so shakespeare it, shakespeare is straight and annoying and Marlowe is gay and awesome you heard it here first
1: <laughs> with that that's a wrap On our latest episode of Historical Homos. Um, Thank you all very much for tuning in and tuning out. Um, I'm (laughs) Donald Brophy. Oh,
0: and I'm Bash. (laughs) And you can follow us at historical.homos on Instagram. You can also go on our little website and you can... This is the international symbol for website. And then you can um, follow us there as well. And you should like this podcast. You should share it. You should subscribe to it. You should get off your ass and do some work, like Kim
1: Kardashian says. (laughs) Five-star reviews only. This is considered work, listening to our podcast. (laughs)